0: is that you it is
1: is. how are you i am okay how are you what a fucking night what a night already taylor swift just brought in (laughs) just just brought home um pop artist of the year award at the vmas And she was quoted as saying she likes to get slinky in other genres. And now I think slinky is going to be a word. Slinky. She used the word slinky. She used the word slinky. And I didn't look it up or anything, but I just have a feeling I know what she meant. You know what? (laughs) You know? Just stick to what you're good at. Hey, she likes slinking around in other genres. Mm. She was handed the the award by NSYNC, mind you. What was that? She was handed the award by NSYNC. Wow. What a blast from the past. Yeah, and she was, you know, all gushy and, you know, girl fanning them, you know.
0: And uh, just uh, a quick... You know, self disclosure. Why are you watching the VMAs?
1: I will tell you why. Because you were freaking late on recording tonight. So I oh, had to be nice.
0: to the audience.
1: That was my option. Like, if this guy's going to be late recording our episode, then all right, I'm going to have to watch this. And what do you know? Perfect timing. So thank A million for that.
0: TV channels, and you're watching MTV,
1: which barely doesn't even exist anymore. Oh no, it exists. You should. It exi- You know something? It exists even more now than it ever has because wow. of T- okay. Taylor Swift. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? What is wrong with you? Get out of here.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. For the for the audience, so they just really understand, which they do, and I want them to really hear it from, you know from your mouth besides NSYNC and Taylor Swift, who else did you recognize on the VMAs?
1: I shut it off after after her <laughs> speech.
0: My <laughs> point exactly. You knew nobody. <laughs> That's why no one watches
1: MTV or whatever. <clears throat> yeah. She'll bring home she'll bring home some more awards this year, I'm sure uh what could doo do
0: so it's an off year for music so she's she's racking it up she, what did you just say it's an off year for music you know why i'm just not enough releases are happening so she has no competition
1: no competition what about like beyonce and rihanna they put out al- albums this year olivia rodrigo selena gomez
0: uh, let's get off the subject. I'm getting <laughs> irrationally upset.
1: <laughs>
0: um, well, I guess for the audience' sakes, you know, we don't have a guest today or this episode, and you know, we tried to have a guest. I guess every other episode, um, so you know, people get a kind of understanding and some insight, you know, into people who we bring on and some kind of impact uh, of addiction either in their lives or someone that they, they know. Um, But you and I talked earlier, and I think we should kind of highlight uh, the month of September, you know, being, you know, two important, you know, mental health kind of advocacy months. Um, So one of them is national recovery month is in September. Um, You know, recognizing all efforts of you know recovery you know services entities opportunities um and it's also national suicide month so you know the you know severe mental health side i guess or mental health act um you know that is you know out there and also plagues uh people so i think you know you had made the reference that you know it's a good combination to talk Mm -hmm. about and highlight both
1: Yeah. I do you think that they during recovery month they uh they tend to have a lot of like overdose vigils? Mm. That's something that happens That happens throughout the month. Can you can you uh, explain
0: that to some of the people who maybe have heard it, never been, wondering what it is?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, different. Com- A lot of different, a lot of communities have what we call overdose vigils for people who have died from overdose. And so I've been to several. And so what it would look like is you show up and you can write down people that have passed away that you may know, that you know of that Front, who died from overdose and they'll call out their name in remembrance of the person that passed away from overdose.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a... Um...
1: What, are you going to correct me now? That, like, that wasn't good enough? What? No!
0: All
1: right. Why Felt would cool. I dare
0: correcting you? You've never been wrong on this episode, on the show. Sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, that,
1: you know, when you said that, I'm thinking, yeah, I think he's right. I've never been wrong on this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really reinforced your <laughs> uh, ego. That's why I didn't say anything <clears throat> afterwards. I was thinking about it. Like, yeah, he's right. But and then you had to say that you are being sarcastic. Anyways, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, you're you're spot on.
0: Um, and, and And for people who may listen to this episode and I don't think there's many of you out there as people who've kind of reached out and commented about, you know, our show is there's very few people who've been not directly impacted by some, you know, someone's substance use, either again, themselves or a family member or loved one or some kind of associate. So, you know, the vigils are opportunities to like honor somebody. Right. And I know in in certain circles that I've been in, uh, really make some derogatory comments about, Overdose deaths, right? Um, you know, I, I think it's really despicable that someone would <laughs> applaud, you know, any death, right? So, I mean, would you do the same thing because, you know, someone died of like lung cancer because they were a smoker? Probably not, right? Would, probably. You know, like other kinds of like illness related deaths, you, you know, you probably won't have the same response, but people have this really visceral reaction to, you know, addiction, alcoholism, and, you know, the, the death of it all. Um, yeah. Obviously being in the field, but even, even before I got into the field, you know, I, I never felt like you should minimize someone's life, you know, regardless of how they lived it or, or died from it. Um, yeah. And so the vigils are really awesome opportunities because maybe not in my life, my life goes on. I, you know, I get up, but for family members who've lost a loved one to death, they're, remaining lives are, are forever changed. And this month could really go back and honor them as survivors of their loved one's addiction and a way of kind of honoring, as you mentioned, their loved one by announcing their name and you know, holding their memory kind of present. Because for them, it's every single day they remember that person or uh, the loss of that person. And so the, the you know National Recovery Month is our opportunity to, you know, acknowledge both the, the lost person and also the family and the people who are struggling with it, that it, it is a real thing. It exists. And there's so much opportunity out there to, uh, you know, in, in engage in some level of recovery efforts. Um, yeah. So, you know, I would really encourage anyone who is kind of, thinking about it, thought about it, was in it, needs to be in it, um, to maybe really be active uh, in this month and, and really invite like any kind of conversation or dialogue or event uh, that might be kind of happening to, to really uh, support you through this process because people don't do it alone, you know, somehow, some way, you know, AA, NA, yeah. uh, you know, support group, uh, sponsor, you know, a therapist, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's a, it's a community problem. So it's a community solution. So um, anyone that you think you need in your life to support you um, find that person there, that person exists. um, And hope, I I hope that you connect with someone. uh, Hello. um, Yeah. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I think I think you drop for a second. Mm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, give yourself
0: a chance, uh, you know, give you know some form of treatment a chance. I, I, again, the, the are really really sweet. Um kind um of, you know, kind of a way to acknowledging, you know, people, you know, who've lost their life uh to this disease. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was think when thinking about people who you know, pass away from overdose, what's your take on um or what do you what do you think about in like a lot some obituaries they'll you know the family will write in there that they passed away while suffering from you know the illness of addiction or something to that effect, you know. What's your What's your take on that? I think
0: that is by far the bravest thing that any family can do. Because um, I think, I mean, you've see, I, I know you've definitely seen it and, and I've definitely seen it, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> a, a random, relatively healthy 35-year-old dropping dead from a non-medical issue or even a medical issue is exceptionally rare exceptionally fair that doesn't mean it doesn't happen i don't want to minimize you know those people um again maybe i'm desensitized but when i hear stories like that my mind obviously goes to first addiction and then like mental illness like you know suicide or something um and I, i actually look forward to some recognition from that person's partner or loved one or very close friends to say like hey this person died randomly because they were in in the midst of a relapse or um, heavy addiction that no one knew like something of that because this you and I have talked about this on on the podcast yeah. is that that secrecy piece keeps the addiction alive someone using longer um, right. because people don't want to acknowledge it people don't want to talk about it you know it's an embarrassing thing across the board and so it gets hidden. Uh, And then, uh, you know, death is an opportunity to kind of acknowledge like, you know, that was happening. Some shape, some form. It it doesn't, again, like we were talking about tonight, doesn't minimize the person's lived experience, right? Whatever they were doing, they were doing, you know. Um, And unfortunately they lost their, you know, life to this struggle. Um, I think it's a really awesome opportunity and immensely brave. And I give you my entire heart uh, for people who can really acknowledge that. because I I think that's an opportunity to like open the eyes of other people, being like, well, if so and so died from this, I could be next, and it can it, yeah. it doesn't think, have the yeah. It's it's to-
1: yeah, no, I I'm in total agreement that it's very courageous, and if when people when families do that, um, you know, I think it's I think it's great um, to help with. Um, you know the destigmatizing addiction for one um and to to know you know that the person was had has had their struggles you know you know i think that it's a incredible difficult like when thinking about the whole you know the whole process i guess of like the person passes away from overdose and then the family literally has like a day or two to write an bit. and in that short amount of time i'm like picturing how difficult that must be mm-hmm. for them to, be, to have to try to make that decision on whether to you know they might view it as out in the person or they may n- just be struggling like having a big conflict with whether to <laughs> write that or not, you know oh, just picking how difficult that must be because it's not like they have like three months to process it. You know, if they did, I'm sure more people would come, you know, would, would, you know, would, um, you know, write it out would, would write it down well, on there. Well, um, and I think that it shows in vigils that, you know, the majority of families don't write a bit saying that their loved one passed away, but by, by addiction, or from struggling from, from addiction, illness, or alcoholism. Mm-hmm. But down the road, the vigils help with with that, you know?
0: Almost with, like a form of closure, I think.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So even though they're not publicly saying it two days after the person passed away from overdose in the paper, they're saying it six months later at an overdose because maybe they processed it and gr- through that grief, yeah, they're you know oh, they're okay. able to do that. Good point. Yeah. Good point. What did you just say? Uh,
0: no, I, I I said you know good point. Right? Is that I, wow. I you know I especially as a, as a therapist. Yeah. And this has kind of come up multiple times. Like you know the grieving process is different from person to person. So it mm. you know there's a heightened level of awareness and concern. And I think yeah. you know for our audience and and people who who may come across this, you know as a family member, support person, loved one, whatever the case might be, is that you did you didn't cause the addiction, nor did you cause the death.
1: Yeah. So it's yeah. not
0: your responsibility. It's not your fault that this thing had transpired, either the introduction to it or the loss of, you know, life because of it all. But I I, I would put some, you know, pressure on family members about doing something about it like now you have this information what are you doing about it and i I think you know um others can learn from it right you know again it can jar a a different family who's struggling with it who could be very involved you know with their loved one finding treatment you know advocating for recovery you know being more knowledgeable about the process um again like you know I, i would encourage people to treat it like any other disease like you know, right. if someone got diagnosed with cancer. You're not sh- shamed into hiding it, right? You're talking about it. People are being supported. There's support groups, you know, uh, you know, with people in recovery, uh, you know, w- with cancer. So, you know, you know, yeah. think about it that way. Um, and I think you know, one of our former uh, guests said, like, there's so much awareness about addiction and recovery and treatment you can really help propel that, you know, even in a, in a, in a small way um, Mm -hmm. and it could really shake someone in a positive way. Um,
1: Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I'm just thinking about all, you know, all the people that I've known that have passed away from overdose and in the situations that I've been in with other people and the situations that I've put, you know, I've put people in um, due to overdose. And thank God I, I haven't, um, you know, I haven't died from overdose. Thank God. Yeah,
0: but, absolutely. Yeah. It's... You
1: know, every time someone overdoses, it's obviously a
0: very close call. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, that the profound steps that I think individual communities, states and even nationally, right, is getting Narcan, Naloxone out there into anybody and everybody because, you know, I think there's some research that with an overdose, if there isn't an emergency intervention, you know, within like a few seconds, like less than a few minutes, that right. The likelihood of them, you know, not being revived is significantly right. higher. And so, right. So as, I, a, as a lay person who, you know, again, is in this and working in it, you know, whatever, I have Narcan in the car. I've given Narcan to fa- family members and explained to them how to use it uh, because of their, you know, you know, loved one. Um, and what people don't know is that, like, it's not like Pulp Fiction. There's no needle. You're not stabbing anybody it's a nasal spray uh, like for allergies Um, and you're not going to cause any harm by giving it to someone who is in some level of distress because it only works for opioids. So heroin, you know, Percocet, Vicodin, fentanyl to a certain degree. Um, So, you know, if someone is overdosed on cocaine and you give them Narcan, they're not going to, it's not going to have an adverse, you know, reaction or, or some type of like, yeah your know, physiological response is gonna like cause them death, so I want you to yeah. kind of put that out there to people who are listening yeah. and you can get at your pharmacy yeah. no, no no information no nothing asked uh completely free um again, yeah you know, causes no harm, but uh does a whole lot of good
1: yeah, and that's why, and we can go into this if you want, but this is why. That, that, that area of Mass and CAST, the Mass Ave area in Boston is useful because you have a community of addicts using that all have three, four, five Narcans on them. Everyone has it in, in abundance. And everyone, just about everyone or the majority, at least I would guess 90% of people that overdose um, and die they're alone in like their room or their car using, using alone. Right. And, and, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm still alive is because I was using in that area. If I wasn't using in that area, I'd be using alone. And I'd be dead. Like I, cause there were several times where I over, I was out for a, you know, a lengthy period, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of shit going on at that in that area right now where they just they're doing, you know, they're doing different things to try to the, the mayor's getting a lot of pressure to, you know, clean it up again and do a sweep and, <laughs> you know, get everyone out of there because and now she's getting, you know, she she got a lot. She tried initially to be progressive um, with treatment in that area. And, you know, she was trying to you know, she was trying to implement even more like harm reduction tactics, right? Techniques out there on the streets in that area. But she she's gotten so much pushback. And now it's more of a political move for her to, you know, if she wants to stay in there. Right. Now she's got, you know, she's got to go. She's going the other way. And um, they shut down the drop in center, which was a big, a big, um, you know, a big, to do down there for pe for, for addicts, just to rest for like a little while, you know, go to the bathroom, be able to take a shower twice a week in that drop-in center, mm. get some Gatorade, get some popsicles, get some snacks, like watch some, watch some tea, watch the news. Like that, w- that was a, you know, a break for people for addicts, for active addicts, you know, and they just shut that down because of, um, you know, the pushback that the 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 mayor's getting. And they're trying to, there's so much going on, Bob Rose, down there. It's just, that isn't, you know, I just don't, I, I don't agree with. Oh. Um, I don't know. I think, I think that, so I read, I read, I read about a week ago that <clears throat> they're looking to Um, be able to... They used to have to give 48 hours notice if they were going to take someone's tent that they set up that they were sleeping in out there. They, They used to have to give 48 hours notice, right? And they're trying to pass an ordinance now where... Are you still there? I'm
0: present, my friend.
1: They're trying to pass an ordinance. The mayor's trying to pass an ordinance where police can now they don't have to wait the 40 hour, 48 hours and they can just go there and take the pers- take their tent right and the i just it, it's their it's where they're living you know and you're literally just stripping them of that without without any notice well, and you're having cops you're you're changing the whole dynamic overnight in that area too so you're telling me, like, the cop that was just, a, you know, freaking a foot away from me, or from an addict using, and just there, watching, is now gonna go in the tent and rip it away from him, right? And what does that open the? What does that open that up for? Yeah, Barbara. It opens that up for police enforcement. It opens up for arrest, yep. if, the, if the person's irritated and agitated because they haven't had their crack that day and now they're getting their home taken away from them. Right. It's just a whole freaking, it's just, I just don't, I just don't like my, my whole philosophy is, is keeping the person alive for the hope of a full recovery of like recovery of some sort, you know? Well, and I, I feel like I know I, I get a lot of, you know, I get a lot of pushback with my views too, even from even people that have similar views, they don't, they see it more as enabling that yeah. in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it as keeping people alive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I think honestly, we're, we're going in a, in, a, in a direction that probably needs to be discussed uh, and... You know, a little bit deeper dive in it, right? And so again, the layperson, um, someone who has been affected by addiction, right, and they have that resentment, that anger, and, and they hear stories like this, right? <clears throat> they come from a place of, oh, like you're just babying them, right? You're 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 reinforcing addictive behavior, drug use, right? Paraphernalia, lifestyle, etc and so if you made it hard, right, quote unquote. Um, then the person w- would make it harder on themselves to to to, to find to, to use. Historically, that has never
1: You're harder than harder than themself. Harder it'll make it harder for them to use. It'll make it easier for death to occur. Well, let, let's not even
0: cross that for a second, right? All right? But what what the notion is that you make it harder on the individual, and that mysteriously is. But hmm. going to like shake them enough to to find treatment. So right. as someone who's been in the field and for over 21 years, I've worked in three different states. And if people just recognize the ridiculous war on drugs that started with, you know, what Nixon and Reagan, all these kinds of things, billions of dollars have been poured in facing addiction. And it's only gotten worse why because when you police it <laughs> it drives further underground people get more sick and people die from it and it's not like one addict dies and another one isn't there to kind of pick up this this right. so the slack this is increase so the what what's happening and which i'm really passionate about is trying to address it from a public health crisis right, right? just <clears throat> just like you would do anything else and when you pour money into what you're talking about a drop in center which is a harm reduction prevention model the ability to talk to inform educate active users is by
1: far the best way to introduce oh. a different way of living yep. and Do so- you under- right every every time i went into treatment i went to i went inside that drop in center and let a staff know and they let me use the phone you know And how and how does that happen? I I know they're there. I know staff is there. And that's the other piece too, is like you have professionals that are eyeball able to see a person every day. That's another piece of like the you know, the model. The model is that you have a worker that at least eyeballs a person every day and how they're doing. Yeah. So
0: I, I get absolutely frustrated with it. And again, what we're talking about is Again, as someone who's been in the field and again, you know, you, you know, being in recovery and having the addiction experiences, you and I are the experts. The governor of, you know, the mayor of Boston is a politician, right? Police are not public health experts. If you listen to the science and you listen to the people who are investing their energy and time into it, all the evidence suggests a public health model to deal with this issue that has been successful in other pockets of the United States, and especially if you go outside of the, the U.S., the immense success that happens to a harm reduction model. You know, Portugal is a perfect example. Crime was mm-hmm. almost obsolete but when they decriminalized it and they advocated for treatment. The, mo- yeah. the money was diverted, and we're back into that old thing of like, literally spending money for a product that will never work policing addiction arresting our way out of addiction and so as a citizen as a taxpayer right you're giving me money and I'm literally throwing that money out is that what you want your tax money to go to right imagine if I was um, the department of like public works and you called (laughs) and said my road is broken and I want you to come fix it and they go Uh, yeah, we're not going to do that. Like, I pay taxes. No, we we use your tax money elsewhere. Like, what? So my road, like the road I drive, that's the, I I want people to really hear that. That's, Hmm. That's what people are trying to do. They're evoking that emotion out of you as someone who may have not been impacted and saying, this is the solution. It has never literally since, like, the Pilgrims' landed policing substance use but the prohibition is a perfect example of mm-hmm. what transpired in the United States. Every aspect of criminalizing it arresting it yes. literally went in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And so like why are we in the same place right because it's politicians who create laws uh, <clears throat> or are funded by certain groups that make certain you know decisions um, even public outcry
1: and not really sharing facts. Yeah, so right, right. So you have, you have, you know, the, a big piece down in that area of the public outcry is the bit, the businesses in that area. And, you know, they, from their point of view, you, they have a ton of riffraff that are just hanging around in front of their businesses and they're not getting, you know, the business that they should be getting because addicts are hanging out in front of there. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's a big, that's a big thing that's going on. That's always gone on down there. Yeah. I mean, like work with the business
0: owners, work with the people on the front lines, right. The drop in center people, those kinds of experts, you know, the public health department of, you know, that area of Boston uh, and find other solutions to keep the individuals and the community safe. It can be done together. It's not one versus, You know the other again i mean you've heard this right in psychology it's not nature versus nurture it's both right the problem is with both the solution is with both you don't have to oust one people to elevate another person um you can elevate both people and and, you know be um
1: a very successful community that's just interesting too with with what we have in Massachusetts for treatment and how we're, you know, so progressive supposedly with how we treat substance use disorder and how the department of public health, they're not stepping in and and doing something like the health and human services division. They're not, they're not stepping in and taking a stand. It seems like, you know,
0: well, I, I don't know. I know when you and I were, working in, in, in Danvers, you might not have been left, but I, I, I know you, 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 you heard this. Yeah. Um, and this was like maybe a year or two before I had left. Cause I was in Danvers and then when I left Danvers, I, I relocated to Jersey, but in Massachusetts uh, there was a, um, a vote in one of the elections. I think it was the, the local elections where would the community increase alcohol sales tax by Um, like a half a percent, a quarter percent? It was Maybe a maximum like 1% sales tax. And that 1% accrual would go directly Mm. into funding substitute street programs. Again, I was working at Danvers nonprofit, but we need a lot of state funding and and local funding. So the public voted it in. Um, and treatment programs started to see an influx of dollars, right? We can pay people more money. We can offer up more services and so on and so forth. Right. That taxation lasted a year. And then for the next election, it was on the ballot again. And they kind of spun it in a, in a negative way <laughs> that the, yeah. the money wasn't there. It's not being used. And because the public you know, was duped to, to a certain degree, they... Uh, yeah, yeah. T- took it all back and then th- the non-profits you and i had you know a podcast about pr- for-profit non-profit um yeah. was taken away and treatment programs suffered one small right. change that does not impact most people's lives if you think about it that way that one percent tax we're talking cents on the dollar when you're buying alcohol products or whatever but it, yeah. it, it went to so so many good things uh and just yeah. Uh, and, robbed away. Where's that? sad right.
1: Yeah, I forgot. I forgot all about that. Actually, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, my another, you know, Barbara another, another, um, another piece of that that area down there, Mass Ave area, is that it. Like I, I have evidence that it cleaned up the rest of Boston. <laughs> Okay. Like, there's no, like, you have this one area that is pretty much a shit show with that, with active addiction, right? It's a little area. But, you know, what's cleaned up that used to be a mess Chinatown and um, Copley. Like, you go down, like, like, at two in the morning down Copley it used to be pretty bad down there in that area. And, two in the morning down there. It's not, it's not even close to what, how it used to be. You know, there's these other areas of Boston that are cleaned up now because active addicts. And I think this is a good thing. They just went to that one area on, on Mass Ave. And I think it's better for the city to move, to have active addiction in one small area than a small area and scattered throughout the city you know what i'm saying yeah i, mean, I you know brought about the point that you said earlier about
0: again you know, again there's a, there's a there's a stigma or, or a, a misinformation about you know active substance use that you know people are having fun right they're high they're laughing they're joking they're having jubilant time it, it's right you know and and, and you've you, you've shared that and so, because it's such so an isolating disease in, in usage, people are usually doing it alone, and that's where death occurs. Right. right. So your point is that it, it's going to happen regardless of where you put it or how you uh, defend it against it. But again, I think National Recovery Month and National Over- Overdose Awareness Month, you know, September, it's keeping people alive to then have the conversation about other ways of living their lives. Right. right. When a person in an active addiction dies, that's a lost opportunity for all of us, especially their family yeah. members to have them be in their lives in, in productive ways. No one wins. No one. And as a right. citizen who might not be affected by addiction and, and sick of all this type of stuff, whatever you're paying for that death. <laughs> You're paying for it quadruple fold by not giving them access to appropriate care. Right. It's just the same thing about jailing someone, right? I, You know, when I worked in, my, in the first methadone clinic uh, in my early 20s, like our advocacy to the local police was by paying methadone treatment for one person a year, cost at that time is the early 2000s, somewhere around yeah. like $6,000, $7,000. Yeah, If you jailed that same person in the same time area yeah. and paying uh, like taxation wise, like 30 to $40,000 for one person, like do yeah. the math people Yeah, as, as certain citizens, like use your money wisely, right? right? You invest in certain parts of your life because it gives you the, uh, you know, the reward or whatever the case might be. Right. This may not, you might not fully understand this, but like, I'm not saying it because you're you're helping me stay employed. You're absolutely not. You're saving everybody money and you're saving a life. I mean, what a win-win situation. I mean, that's just, that's profound. I mean, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And the other, the, like there's so many different areas of, of the issue down there are, you know, but the the situation and I think that you know the other the other piece that looks like it you know I I wouldn't be surprised if it starts going away is giving out clean needles um you know new pipes and all this stuff the stuff that if it's not there then literally disease will be at will be in flux you know it'll be it'll be spreading like wildfire disease, if, if that goes away.
0: Yep, um, there was a kind of just piggyback off of that. I forget the book, um, but it was written by a Southie person talking about their lived experience I think in Southie in like the 60s or early 70s, whatnot. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Irish Catholic Do you know who I'm talking about? I can't, I can't bring it to my mind right now. But yeah, it's, okay.
0: It's Michael Patrick something.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Again, very Irish, full name, Irish Catholic, <laughs> um, but, you know, the way he writes his his story and towards the end of, like, his own journey of, like, mental health and substance use and recovery um, in his community where people were dying from, like, gun violence, he helped initiate the conversation, I believe, with the mayor of Boston at that time to do gun buyback, right? You give a gun, you get like $100 gift card, cash, whatever. Um, Again, evidence suggests you do something simple like this, right? By getting guns off the street, homicides went down. Crime goes down, right? right? Successful. You know, it's it's clear as day. Yeah. Within a few years, they got rid of that program. Guess what ended up happening? Lo and behold, homicides went up crime goes on. like like I'm getting so irrational like irritated like just follow the common sense like right. we trust our professionals in other areas of life like when your car breaks down and you go to a mechanic you're paying for that service to invest into fixing your car as properly as possible so you can get back on the road yeah. you're trusting that mechanic that they know exactly what they're doing you and I know the ins and outs of all forms of like substance use treatment and and, you know, mental health care, like, trust us. that We're not doing it because of fame, glory, finances, whatever the case is. For God, I drive a Honda Civic. Like, I'm not making a million dollars, nor, nor will that ever happen. Like, right. This is the efficacy of when dollars are used wisely in the substance use world. It's all across, all across, whatever community, whatever town, whatever state, it doesn't matter. Um, When public health is invested into, it has a drastic uh, and clear positive impact in its community and everyone uh, is victorious by it. You take that away even by a fraction of it, yeah. The the problem comes back tenfold. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck we can do about it at this point, you know.
0: Hot, hot topic.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's an article like every other day about the situation down in Boston, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah.
0: You know, for for me and for the audience, again, if you care about us and you listen to the show, um, and unfortunately, you know, we have very limited power, but the people that we elect into power, um have you know, we give them that power, right? And so when you're
1: looking Yeah, well, you know what, Bavros, we have like probably the most one of the most liberal mayors supposedly that we we've ever had in office yeah. and she's like shit in the bed because of pressure you know mm. so fuck. yeah yeah no it's you know it's the uh, you know some of the sad so when you, you know when you think about you know okay we finally have someone that ha that shares our philosophy on prevention and harm reduction and she tries to implement something and she gets a rash of shit for it and now she she's backpedaling. She's full backpedal. I know she doesn't believe. I know she doesn't believe in the and policing it. I but that's what's going to happen. It's crazy to me. Yeah. 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 So
0: it's frustrating. No, very very much so. Very much so. Mm-hmm. But I, I would now, again I would encourage you know citizens that you know if you really invest into this, um, because politicians do not like um, pressure, especially from, uh, the people that vote for them. Um, they have numbers that you can call a citizen and saying, my name is so-and-so, or I feel passionate about this thing and you need to, uh, focus on it you know, differently. Uh, I know we did that, you know, I think back in Massachusetts when certain laws were kind of coming through, yep. uh, even in Jersey, you know, really getting passionate behind, uh, certain kind of bills that are in there either in favor or yep. against, you know, what we yeah. do, you know, for a living, not for my living purposes, right? I can always find a job
1: somewhere, you know, doing some level of therapy. It's the people that we serve. You know, Saf, it's interesting too, but <laughs> since you brought this up, like we're supposed to, and we're, a- we're able to, as, as citizens, we're able to actually walk into the state house and talk to whether, you know, whether it's the state, you know, a state rep themselves or, Um, One of their, you know, one of their many assistants, like we're supposed to walk, be able to walk in there and just talk to someone about laws, you know? Yeah. So, but we just don't, I don't do that. I, the last time I did it was probably when I was in school. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, True. True. Yeah. yeah, It's interesting. interesting They're available for us or they're available to us anyways. And we just don't, we just don't do it. (laughs)
0: You know, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, people get charged up on, on certain subject matter when it directly impacts their life, right? If it's gas tax or tolls or, um, you know, stuff that's you know personal to them, you know, people will get you know charged up. I, I, I think I'm yeah. calling on people that you know, don't wait until it's your turn, it's your turn now. Uh, so you know, do what you can, you know, whatever that looks like. What would that
1: mean? Were, um were you, were you working in danvers when there was that senator that was like huge into the opiate you know you know with helping the opiate epidemic and he he would like he would make a bazillion referrals to us do you remember that senator
0: um i think so now that you say it that way i, I know there was definitely
1: uh a politician that was um you know, yeah, popular. Senator um, Senator Steve Tolman. That was his name. Uh, yeah, name definitely. Senator Steve Tolman, and we'd get literally we'd get referrals like at least five to- five a month from the guy. You know, and that was an office that was actually doing something, like trying to help. You know. And he'd speak so, he'd speak so much about the opiate epidemic. He'd go around all over speaking about it. you mm-hmm. like, that guy was passionate about it. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what we need. And um,
0: yeah, it's funny because I, I think even in Jersey, there's like one or two like very well-known politicians who are, you know, pro-recovery, pro-treatment. And so they're mm-hmm. always kind of like, you know, standing up and, you know, being a yeah. voice, but, you know, one, two politicians doesn't get bills passed. Um, right. But now, yeah. you know, squared away. So
1: definitely. Need- but it's so so sweet and so nice when you have that one, at least, you know. No, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, you know, it's like, oh, you, we have someone in our corner, you know.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I think go, go back to the, the beginning of AA, right? It was two people. Getting together to create something new, um, to heal themselves. Yeah. Now it's a you know global iconic, you know run program yeah. Yeah. that any right. kind of access to, and it's very well respected across the board. You know, so yeah, yeah it's, it's one politician, but one's better than none. It's one or yeah. person better than none, and so yeah. you know, the more, uh, the better. And I think yep. our mission for, you know, the podcast is this, is to not wait until National Recovery Month or Overdose Month or whatever. Like, we talk about this subject matter every single week uh, for folks who may forget about it and go about their lives and who listen to this. Like, it doesn't go away for most people. And you and I are... are I think testament to the fact that we don't want it to, to go away. We don't want the noise to go away and get drowned. I mean, out. Most, my...
1: most of the people, the most of the guests that we've had on so far, they've, they've all overdosed, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So yeah, we've been, we've been hearing about it and we talk about it a ton too.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. So
0: yeah, no, good, good, good stuff as always.
1: Do you have any uh, final final statements? No, no, I think I used them all up. <laughs> <laughs> you you
0: you're, you're 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 dried out.
1: I yeah, I mean I could talk about that area forever in a day, you know that. Uh-huh. So it's it's fine. I mean I I get <laughs> I I can get really worked up over it and I'm just trying not to. So
0: No, it's yeah. And it, it moves you and you know rightfully so um yeah i mean i think you know there, there needs to be uh, you know not, not a different agenda the agenda
1: is not, a public like I, you. right and you bring up to like you brought it up and i've shared about it like you referenced it not like people reference to that area down there as a party one big party, it ain't no party down there, like no one's having a grand old time (laughs) you know, there are not people smiling, okay (laughs) people are not smiling down there Yeah. you might get a you know, a smile for like a half a second, but not really, not really (laughs) it's it's so artificial if you get a smile, you know yeah, yeah good point,
0: excellent point, right i mean the, the way that i see it right is that it's acceptance right so when you're around other users and there's no judgment and there's no you know bias around your behavior and what you're doing to 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 use right that's why that place exists and that's why that group exists because in their own circles outside of that circle they they're getting laughed at they're getting you know misused mistreated right neglected, you know, um, all that, all that negative stuff of it. So that place is really the result of the lack of support in their own yeah. families and communities to bring people like that together and saying, Hey, look, I use crack, you use opioids. I'm not going to judge you and you're not going to judge me. And we're going to be in this no. space together.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's you're on point with that. Cause you know how many times when I've been down there, I've heard people say, and I've said, I've said it to myself is, ah, oh, I'm fine. I'm with my people again, or mm-hmm. these are my people type of like attitude. And I've heard people say that out loud down there. You're my people, you know? Um, and you know, it goes to, to your point there. And it's, it's due to some a lack of support that actually is available for, for that, for that population. Yeah. I know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So we will end on that note. Did you want to talk about the Chiefs at all or are we going to pass by that?
0: Uh, we're not going to make the, the final
1: minute of the uh, before we
0: transition to the five. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, uh, Casey. A, oh my uh, God. So funny. much is going on there. So much is going on.
0: we won't we won't talk about this episode all right. all
1: right all right
0: so we're transitioning yeah let's do it do cue the music <laughs> <laughs> your music gets actually
1: longer and longer <laughs> do it Pretty soon, it's going to be like five minute thing. <laughs> Old jam. <gym.
0: laughs> oh man! So, um, in reviewing uh, just quickly uh, the, the the five controversies uh, for tonight, I think you're going to like them. I hope that you're going to uh, uh, like them because uh, you you have been shitting on uh, the controversies uh, last couple of apps, and uh, yeah. I, th- I think this one's going to turn you around. I think I think this. All right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for the first, for newcomers people who, who are not familiar with the show and this is your first episode uh, again we talk about mental illness, we talk about addiction recovery uh, treatment um, and then towards the tail end of it, kind of lighten the mood a little bit we have a segment called Five Controversies where I throw out at least two options, sometimes more um, and Adam and I will choose mm-hmm. which one do we like over the other uh, and usually Adam picks both of them and um, which is which not year no of the game. play at home, play in your car when you're listening to this. Um, I think it's, it's, it's fun for everybody. I think everyone who's kind of commented about it is definitely passionate about,
1: um, you know, the five controversies and what they agree and disagree with. And, you know, it's interesting the majority of emails we get are how much people love the five controversies, <laughs> Right. <laughs> We'll, maybe we'll do a. Uh... The, the main content is not may not be great, but the five controversy thing is, I guess. Yeah, always, <laughs> always a, a winner. So I love how we end with it too, right? Yeah. I hope people just aren't. I hope people just aren't speed. You know, our listeners aren't. You know, fast forward to 50 minutes to see you know when we're, we're gonna you know when we're starting the controversies just to get to it uh, I, don't think, yeah. I don't I don't think so I don't think <laughs> the whole show. okay <laughs> all right um
0: all right so first one I think is a big one um, so Tupac versus Biggie
1: I, I, didn't you do this one I hate when you say it did you no all right. If you're sure, if you're sure we didn't, I'm going to go, I'm going to go off right now because it's Tupac. Tupac, Tupac Amara Shakur is, is better than Biggie. Um, his beats are better. Um, he was my go to growing up. Um, I was, I, I swear I, I, I shared this with the, maybe I shared this with you off the air at some point, but. I remember 15 years old smoking a blunt and bumping, you know, picture me rolling, right? And Are You Still Down? And Life Goes On, and Ambition as a Rider, you know, all those Tupac hits, which every one of them is, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember my friend Mark coming up to me and saying, do you really think you're Tupac? Just like that, all serious, dude. All like dead serious. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I just continued rapping. But I I know, I know basically his lyrics inside and out to this day, just about every song, you know? So, okay. It's even, you know, yeah. And I'm not saying I don't listen to Biggie or I haven't listened to Biggie. And I don't like, I like Biggie. I, I like him, you know, second or third. They are Tupac's. Tupac's number
0: one,
1: though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I am a bigger fan of Tupac over Biggie. Um, I probably have heard more Biggie. You know, New York, New York City. You know, Tupac being West Coast, whatever. But stylistically, and when I listen to rap, I, I want someone like Tupac. I want mm-hmm. the lyrics to be on point. I want the emotion behind it. And then like yeah. he's like version of it, like very slow and like methodical, like works for some mm-hmm. people. It for, rap, yeah. for for rap, it doesn't work for me. I want intensity. I want like that emotion. Of course, you know, the lyrics have to be good. The the music itself has to be good. in that sense really did it for me. And I actually got into Tupac after he died. And then like yeah. went backwards. Like, in his music. And, yeah, I, I think even that discovery, uh, you know, for me, it, it is, is better for in Tupac's yeah. favor than, than Biggie's. I don't buy it, but yeah. it's fine. Right. Agree, right. disagree. Another controversy. <laughs> um, this one in the gambling realm, so I'm not promoting it. But as the thoughts come up, I write them down. Um so if you were I think we've done like casino talk or lottery
1: talk before. So this one yeah. is blackjack versus roulette. Oh my god. I don't gamble dude. I how many times do I have to tell them? Tell you I, that? it's
0: not for you. I'm sure you know someone who gambles and I'm sure they've talked about their gambling experience.
1: Oh, I know people that gamble. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what
0: what have you heard from people and their passions of oh. one of these versus the other,
1: so I think I would pick roulette because I remember playing it once, and I can't remember how to play or anything. I wouldn't even be able to describe it, but I remember it being something that it was easy for me to play.
0: Yeah, it's it's numbers yeah. on a wheel, and you put a dollar yeah. on a number, and it, yeah, it's a number. You win that dollar amount if your money is on it.
1: Yeah. So and yeah, little rules. Because of- because of the easiness of it, I would choose roulette for sure.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, it, it, it's funny. Um, I've I've gone to you know numerous casinos and you know been with other people and people who either you know gamble definitely maybe way too much. I think it's a like personality match. Like, Mm. blackjack's very, very intense, and the people on the table that are playing with you are very intense also. And, you know, and you have to do math in in blackjack, so right there, I'm out. Uh, I'm out. It's simple addition and subtraction. Um, I'm out. But it's, like, there's an intensity to, like, blackjack players. And for roulette, because, you know, unless you're just putting all of your money on one shot then you know you're kind of that kind of high risk high reward type of stuff but it's more of like a slow driven drab a couple of dollars mm-hmm. here a couple of dollars there you know you lose yeah. three or four in a row you can still kind of like play uh and kind of like the duration of it is a little bit longer and so for for yeah. me i align more with roulette because i like that nice easy slow relaxed atmosphere versus the kind of Intensity and it's hit and go and fast and yeah, so that um, (laughs) next next three I think are very uh, localized. So my my New Jersey folks are probably not going to be very passionate about this, and people maybe outside of Massachusetts or even New England probably aren't passionate about it. But who the heck cares? Doing it anyways. Um, Ben Affleck. Affleck or Matt Damon.
1: Uh. For some reason, and I don't know why, I take Matt Damon as like a, like a more serious actor than Ben Affleck. I don't know what that's about for me. But when I see Ben Affleck acting, I just don't take him quite as, like, as serious, I guess, in whatever role he's in versus Matt Damon. Matt Damon, he he can, when I see him on the screen, I'm thinking, you know, he's really in that role as character. When I see Affleck, I'm like, that's Ben Affleck. That's Ben Affleck. That's not... You know Joe Schmo, whoever he's supposed to be. that's not Batman. that's Ben Affleck. You know what I mean? so I'm going with um Damon oh Damon over over I make a good point, right
0: you, you make a point your point yeah. um, but I think I think our listeners and, and maybe some consensus would would agree with you. Uh, I'm sad actually that you chose Damon only for the fact that. Ben has been very open and honest about his substance use issues and like recovery status.
1: Yeah. I didn't really take that into account. and So that's, no, so I'm already I'm, leaning I'm, in. No, I'm, I, not, I'm not, I'm not thinking as a person, like individual out in society. I'm thinking like as an actor. Okay. So then I will, again, I will lead
0: lead with that, but I'm actually choosing Ben. Over Matt, um, for like, like roles, like in the town, I think spectacular. Um, his yeah. directing ability also, uh, I think, much more um, experienced and better uh, than you know Matt Damon. So, I'm gonna choose Ben over Matt.
1: All right. Yeah, I mean, uh, Applet might even be a better director than he is actor.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, I think he's definitely won awards uh, based on his like production ability. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, I just can't take him serious in a role. but
0: yeah. uh, So next one, as both of us, I mean, you, you know, born and raised in Mass me you know raised in mass um outside of massachusetts i think people mass people are passionate about two neighboring states um so i'm gonna say new hampshire versus Re- vermont what's i think
1: i think i i go with vermont i think vermont is just more of a more of a beautiful state than New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah, that's all. That's all I'm going with. <laughs> I'm actually going to Vermont in November too, so can't oh, wait for okay. that. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so you got a little skin in the game? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I mean, New Hampshire. I. there I'll I'll add this too, Bobros. I'll add that. The convenience of New Hampshire doesn't make it tw- quite as attractive than you know Vermont does. You know Vermont's a little further out there for for me to get to. Yep. New Hampshire, I literally go to New Hampshire twice a week to get vapes. You know, <laughs> so vapes. You can't no, because you can't buy the flavored vapes in mass. They're outlawed for whatever freaking reason. You know, you can't, you know, you can't have menthol cigarettes. You can't have flavored vapes, but you can smoke all the fucking weed you want. Smoke all the weed you want, but these vapes can't be flavored. Those cigarettes, they can't be menthol, but here's all the herb you want. Here, here. Are you kidding me with this? Are you? Ki- What's the state? Like, make up, mi- like make up your mind. Like, <laughs> make up your mind, tangier
0: Massachusetts.
1: Make up your mind, Massachusetts.
0: Where do, you, where do you stand
1: with stuff?
0: Tangential. Come, come back to present. <sighs> the question was New Hampshire versus Re- Vermont. I said Vermont. Damn it. Okay. Can we? Can I? Can I? Can I say mine? Please. Sure can. Yep, you're up. Thanks. Without going tangent, um, <laughs> to your point exactly, with the two states being side by side. If I looked at them right, my response to Vermont would be and is Vermont is more beautiful than New Hampshire. Yeah. Partly because my time in Vermont is few and far between than my time in New Hampshire, even locally. I mean, I grew up in Methuen, so Salem, New Hampshire, <laughs> right next door. So a lot of time spent, you know, there and then. You know, you know, emerging adult late teens, you know, doing camping trips. A lot of it was in New Hampshire, Kangamangas Highway, uh, wow. Lincoln, New Hampshire. Right.
1: Uh, Those beautiful
0: parts, tons of beautiful aspects you know, to New Hampshire. I worked in New but... Hampshire for a little bit, you know, yep. Concord, like so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but I'm still going to choose Vermont, probably because I have not been there and I, and I so want to go and, and really absorb. It's it's you haven't been there ever. Honestly, I don't have a, a strong recollection, but I want to say I've probably Ooh. been there less than five times in my entire life. So like I don't you know, have to. Um, you have
1: to go. I'm going to Burlington, Vermont in November, and I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, and I gotta, you, I know, fall, you know actually want to go to Vermont in the fall is something special to to say oh yeah that's definitely on you know my local i have five five flannels ready to be worn (laughs) for that i do (laughs) all right last
0: one i again i think it's relatively you know local-ish uh people do have i think strong responses to one or the other um but it's seven seven eleven versus cumberland farms or better known for locals as Cumbies.
1: Cumbies. I go cumbies. Yeah. So cumbies now there's a whole thing. So cumbies pre-COVID specialized in that coffee, you know, the coffee beer. A dollar four total. It's 99 cent coffee. Mm-hmm. Tah. You can get the hot coffee, you can get the cold coffee. It's better coffee than Dunkin' Donuts for sure um and so pre-covid you would be able to to get your own to put your own creamers in and they had all the different flavors of creamers you would have all the different sugars the you know the raw sugar the white sugar the this sugar that sugar stevia whatever you want you make it yourself you put the ice in the amount the whole shtick is there post-covid it's not like that now i the iced coffee is still fine. It's good, but you don't have for the longest time, like during like late COVID, when I was going into cumbies, I would say, where's your, you know, where's your flavored creamers? Where's this? Where's that? Oh, we're having major distribution problems because of COVID. That was their thing. Like they would say that every time. I would I'd ask once a week to the guy still district. I I'd even say like, you know, beat him to the, beat them to a the punch and say, Oh, distribution issues still, you know, <laughs> being an asshole, you know? And, um, uh, and it's still like that in most cumbies, the sugar isn't out there. The cream is not out there. It's not what it used to be, but it's still a lot better than my experience over at Seven Eleven, where, you know, how many times I will, when I was in Florida for the, for two months recently, mm-hmm. um, there was a 7-Eleven. There was not a Combies. And I went to the 7-Eleven to get iced coffee, which they charged a fortune, a small fortune for, number one. Okay, three something I was paying for the 7-Eleven, you know, iced coffee, right? Do you know how many, I would say, if I went there seven day, every day, every morning, if I went there mm-hmm. to get a coffee, I would say three out of seven days, the, it would either be extremely low and I wouldn't be able to get, you know, fill up the cup which obviously frustrated the shit out of me, right? Mm-hmm. One time I went up to them and just like started, you know, bitching at them about it of course, right? Um and and are they they were just out. <laughs> and the lady wouldn't like she didn't wasn't able to they didn't have enough staff to refill it then, you know. Mm. So yeah, between the three dollars and something charge, and the service around it, them not keeping up with it, and I'll tell you this too, it just didn't seem like clean. <laughs> okay. Like the area, the area didn't seem like it was clean, a clean area at all, you know. Mm-hmm. And you could, argue like, the majority of places are like that probably, but this, like, Seven Eleven's a different. Level of poor hygiene in that in that area. Mm. So okay, lots to say about it. That's a good one, Denz. Yeah. That's a good one. I want just just to recognize, and I, I know you Ooh. the
0: episodes after you know it's published. You literally <laughs> went on a three minute consecutive rant about this topic.
1: <laughs> Are you you want that to be documented on record? Well, the recording is the record that i said that so i'll
0: bring it to your awareness (laughs) um so audience gonna kick out of that and how passionate he just spoke about this topic as if he was giving a dissertation (laughs) on 7-eleven versus uh well how did i do how did i how did i do on it you you passed your your phd of convenience (laughs) stores (laughs) all right put that that on your resume um i will i will I actually do agree with you that the cleanliness of 7-Eleven seems to be always regardless of where it is. Um, n- not clean for whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. But my story is where I grew up in Methuen, literally once like two blocks away was a Cumbies on the corner. And, once you know you're in that age and you have like a couple of dollars, like that money would get spent at that cumbies as fast as possible, right? Yeah. For for a young person, it just was like you know you had everything, you had candy, you, you had all these like sugary drinks, whatever. Like I just remember like that was like the frequent store. Like even as I kind of you know got older and was still living at home, like if I yeah. did something, like, that was the store that I'm I'm popping in and out of as quickly as po- possible. So. Cumby's has a a, a a soft spot in my heart, and I'm sad that like there's not Cumberland Farms like across like the nation. So when when I'm definitely back in like you know Mass or like areas and I see a Cumby's, I'm like, yeah, this is home. It, it feels
1: warm and, and comforting. Um, but <clears throat> Cumby's to me is like a warm, cozy blanket. <laughs>
0: very very well said very well
1: said I've been known I've been known to slink around <laughs> in some days <laughs> <coughs> full circle sur-
0: full circle you started with uh, T-Swifty and now we're ending with I I, I I wish I was not a part of the, yeah, that
1: part maybe I'll just
0: edit that part of it out that'd be wonderful I'll just
1: take it completely no out. I did tell you I did tell you that I got tickets to go see the movie right yeah, of course of course you're, yeah. you're very ecstatic and
0: i gotta share it All right. good for you. Yeah,
1: yeah 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 Yeah, good for you um, October 26th, i believe this far. is
0: episode 26 right i think last week was 25
1: i, I haven't counted in the past two weeks I have, so
0: I have, I have to i have to look yeah but um really appreciate people you know commenting emailing um Again, any suggestion, tips, any subject matter, uh, our email is counselor at gmail.com, theaddictandthecounselor at gmail.com. Please email us with any questions, concerns, comments, anything we can help to make your life easier. Uh, we will do so. We will bring up the subject and, and, and really dive into it all. Uh, you can listen to us on all major platforms or any platform. Uh, that you listen to podcasts and the podcast name is the addict and the counselor. You can search it. You can find us, follow it, uh, suggest it to friends um, and really appreciate our audience from at this point, like globally who listen to us. Uh, We really appreciate your your support um, uh, and our ability to kind of just, you know, uh, be in your lives for about an hour uh, each week. Um, And, if you're listening on Spotify, you can comment directly in the episode about what you thought about the episode. So, again, any feedback is greatly appreciated uh, for this. Um, you know, um, And I think next week we have a, a special guest. So hopefully everyone kind of tunes in for that also. Can't wait. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. All righty.
1: All righty, then. All right. Hey you, have a good, hey, you have a good evening. Um, I hope you sleep well, knowing that we're going to bed at 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> have a good night. All right. Good night. Bye. Right. Adam? I was connected with you rather quickly tonight. Is that you? <laughs> yeah. Dens, is that you? Who is, who is this? I took the wrong number again. Who do you think it is? Nine o'clock on a Tuesday night? <laughs> it's it, ripe right Adam time. Although that doesn't really apply to you, because last week it was like 11.30. Because i'm not sure i don't think you actually expressed with me i was at
0: a conference
1: okay in minnesota i don't think that you didn't tell me that was why though but whatever i don't want to waste energy on this
0: no no yeah yeah let's 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 waste energy elsewhere uh adam do you want to introduce your guest tonight to the audience (laughs)
1: well (laughs) one of my guests canceled Uh uh-huh keep going the reschedule and another guest that I was talking with uh, another a potential guest I was talking with last night um about some of the details of our our podcast and um and they're gonna they're gonna wait on on coming on so tonight the guests are me and you, <laughs> you and I mm. yeah. just
0: can, can, can you just, you know, be honest then with the audience that you dropped the ball, right? Okay.
1: It, uh... I had one guest scheduled and you couldn't close the deal. Be honest. And I... and and they they had to reschedule but the person i was speaking with last night was you know a potential potential backup for the one that came and that wasn't able to to go through so right now couldn't close the deal yeah i couldn't close it out i believe i i believe i called you and told you that i couldn't close the deal is what i said (laughs) so yeah. you're you're using my words my own words against me now on on my own podcast
0: <laughs> um do you want to apologize to the audience? I mean they were you know they're they're on this rotation of one week us one week guests, and, and really feeling you know the, the flow of the podcast and, and now that's changed uh once again
1: I'm sincerely sorry to our make, listeners make amends. I'm sincerely sorry. I apologize to our listeners for um, dropping the ball, not being able to close the deal on a guest for this, eve- for this episode. And I'll do my, I'll do a better job in the future with, um, with scheduling guests. I'll do uh, my yeah. very best. Not happen ever again. I'll do my best, my very best. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, like, I could, like, <clears throat> I could have one of my personalities be a guest tonight or something, right? Could do that. Mm, I don't like that
0: idea. <laughs> All right. That that wasn't on the ideas board about this episode.
1: <laughs> Listen, there was a lot of shit on our idea board that we that we haven't used yet. You know,
0: it's it's, it's in the pipeline. You know, you got you gotta. You gotta fit it in when when appropriate just can't be haphazard with this amazingly successful podcast.
1: You know, I was thinking about it the other day. It is pretty successful. Keep going according to according to my expectations.
0: (laughs) The the, the bar bar was very low. (laughs) The bar was I mean,
1: think about it. We're we're on three platforms, right? Uh Uh-huh. We have around 50-ish Spotify followers. Uh-huh. We're, un- we're unaware of how many followers are on, like, through Apple and through Amazon. So we don't even know where we stand with that. <clears throat> we average, overall, when you look at the monthly, the monthly listens, I mean, we average, you know, pretty good number there, right?
0: Mm-hmm
1: mm-hmm and um and i feel like we're we're in a you know we're in a good spot we're in a good um we have a good flow going i feel like we get some good positive feedback from people we're in multiple countries yes you love saying that you love that's your thing the multiple countries thing it's a big deal to you
0: yeah
1: yeah it should be um, somebody everybody. <laughs> Um, yep, positive feedback. One, one constructive criticism feedback. I would call it. Yes. Yeah. Remember that one. Yeah. Which really just changed,
0: you know, the uh, the trajectory of this podcast. So we really greatly appreciate, uh, you know, the constructive feedback from our audience. We will definitely uh, apply it immediately to our next episode.
1: <laughs> yeah and um yeah what else i mean i still can't i still we still can't afford my my apple my mac computer to help us out with it
0: <laughs> we, we 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 are shy twelve hundred and ninety dollars
1: <laughs> yeah we're like, we're, we're getting close. there then. little by slow we are in there <laughs>
0: Um, after all the bills get paid too. I mean, come on, <laughs> ridiculous. Um. So yeah, for for the audience, I mean, we're we're, we're starting off kind of slow, but for if this is your first episode, uh, go back in history, listen to some of our other episodes. I think this is episode twenty seven, if I'm not kind of uh, mistaken. And I checked. Oh, uh, you, it's
1: so it's, interesting that I was counting for a while and saying it every week, and then the minute I stop like saying it on air, you pick it up. You pick it right up. You know, smooth transition to you You counting all of a sudden. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's, that, that's how yeah. all great, you know, co-hosting <laughs> podcasts work.
1: You're, you're a podcast specialist. That's <laughs> what we have.
0: <laughs> Put that on my resume.
1: Podcast aficionado. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I checked Spotify, and so, I mean, from our onset, which was, I believe like January or February, uh, 2020, that's you know, we've had over 1500 listens, you know, to our episodes. That's really good. I feel that's, like that's, that's, that's really positive, you know, so, uh, yeah. I greatly appreciate, you know, the, you know, the folks who tune in and listen, uh, again, we want to make it worthwhile to you. It helps us. Um, we want to kind of keep the word alive uh about you know recovery addiction uh treatment um and there's all these kind of like you know catchy things september is national recovery month for us that's that's awesome that kind of highlights a, a good chunk of you know why we're doing what we're doing but like you know we've been doing this now for nine consecutive months roughly and so we want to keep the message kind of going and you know uh, not let it die down because, you know, next month is some other kind of month and people will kind of move on to, you know, whatever's kind of important in their lives. And so for us, you know, this is a very important topic, obviously, you know, for you, you know, living a lifestyle of recovery uh, and me being in the field and, and supporting people uh, achieving sobriety or some level of recovery status. So I I think that's, uh, you know, one of the main for me the main driving forces of, of like continuing this podcast and in the and, and the rhythm that we're kind of you know uh into so um anyone who's new anyone who's interested uh please reach out to us if you're listening on spotify you can comment to the episode right in the episode um but email us at the at and the counselor at gmail.com. And we want to really incorporate um, again, topics, things that we have not covered uh, things that you think are happening in your life that you want us to kind of expand on. Uh, We're definitely up for like any kind of conversation type as I think our previous episode have shown, you know, we get personal, we get funny, you know, we get creative, we get political to a certain degree. Um, You know, we bring up, I think, you know, charging conversations like in and around the field that most likely others have experienced, um, in some shape or form. And they would want to kind of bring some attention, you know, to it all, um, and provides, you know, some level of hope with it all. So as Adam mentioned, you can listen to us on anywhere that you get your podcasting from, uh, so we're on Spotify, Apple Anything. music, uh, Apple Podcast, and Amazon music. Uh, and the show is called the addict and the counselor.
1: Yeah. So what, what do you want to, what do you want to get into? Like I, we had 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 a topic a few weeks ago. We had a topic that was, that was on the radar that we were chatting about and we went with the other topic of what did we end up going with? Uh, I can't remember.
0: It was the pay for treatment, wasn't it?
1: <clears throat> yep. Yep. So we ended up going with like the private for profit treatment versus non profit world and all that stuff and mm-hmm. all this, funky shit that can go on in, in different treatment, treatment worlds. Um, but the other topic, what was it? Um, I something don't... about ethics or, um, you know, um, <clears throat> what was it? Um, boundaries between staff and client and treatment you know, relationships.
0: Oh. It was the relationships between client and treatment provider.
1: Okay. All right. Um, do you want to do you want to get into that or you know? Uh,
0: Let's let's do it. Let's do it.
1: All right. You start off.
0: What? How are you throwing me under the bus? Why don't you start?
1: Um Okay. From so from treatment provider perspective for a number of years. Um I I always try to have have really tight boundaries and I would I would pride myself off my on my boundaries. I'd get compliments on it and sometimes clients would even say like you have real like they would notice that I have really really strong boundaries between you know my relationship with my relationship with clients in the in programs, right? Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And even out, like I would bump into clients outside of, of work, and I would wait for them to come up to me, I, like all the time. Like I, that's the way I was trained.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I was trained to have really strong, tight boundaries with clients. Don't you know? Don't become friends with them when they discharge. I know you. You know, I was told. You know, you're gonna see them in, in meetings. You know, even in meetings. Like I was, I was trained to like to, to have the boundary, you know? Um, and that's what I did for a number of years. Um, and through like, like the past, like, I would say from, you know, the past like few years that I was like in the trenches, like, you know, in programming. Right. Um, I would say treatment evolved or changed a little bit in my opinion to with recovery coaching and the boundaries became a little more flexible or i i thought in my opinion like the boundaries were you know they weren't really existent in the same way it was in for in a negative way i was thinking Mm. you know can you give like an example per se about like where you
0: think those kind of boundaries started to get blurry
1: yeah so like when i started seeing recover when recovery coaches came into and i'm not smashing you know i'm not putting down recovery coaching or whatever they're it's it's a really helpful modality you know that's out there now Mm -hmm. Uh, when it was first coming in when it was first coming in recovery coaching and um and still to this day the 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 stuff that i noticed was like part of their, their job is to bring clients to meetings, like in their car. Right. And that's like goes against like everything that I was trained. Right. As counselor. So crossing those boundaries. Right. So now I'm, I'm watching, you know, recover people that are, that are working for treatment program, take clients out of treatment program and bring them to a meeting in their own vehicle, which I had to wrap my mind around a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I'm watching, and then they, like part of recovery coaching is following them when they discharge. So like I'm in a meeting and I'm seeing the recovery coach that I work with, with a, a former client of like that program, but they're not a former client anymore. They just got out like two months prior and had to wrap my mind around that. Right. Mm-hmm. They're hanging you know, in my mind, they're hanging out with them, right? And part of it is it's up to the recovery coach to have like the whatever the recovery coach boundary is supposed to be with the client. I, I think Adam, when, that we I should think actually really, tell the
0: audience, like yeah, like the recovery coach is is a, a new thing. Yeah, the peer model There's mark. a specific criteria to become a recovery coach. Yeah. You want to, you want to expand on it or
1: I'm not I'm not exactly hundred percent on the criteria I wouldn't be able to spit that out for us right now no.
0: so for, from at least from a New Jersey perspective and as you mentioned it is kind of a, a new thing and the whole idea you know behind like recovery support services and recovery coaching is that um, again at least in New Jersey it might be different in mass but the person has to be. In recovery themselves. Yeah. That's one criteria. Yeah. Second is again, if we kind of can visualize, right? Someone's using on the street, they overdose, e- you know, EMTs come, they rush them to the, you know, emergency room, right? They're getting the medical attention. The recovery support services are there, you know, within whatever capacity to go to emergency services and make that connection right then and there with someone to have the conversation about like, Hey, do you realize you just overdosed? Yeah. Uh, I'm so-and-so I'm a recovery coach. I'm a person of recovery. I want to talk to you about recovery or treatment or harm reduction. And so it immediately kind of brings that conversation in because the, the issue that our system has created is someone who overdoses comes to the hospital, they get revived, they get healthy, they're physically stable enough the hospital discharges him to some shitty loose aftercare mm-hmm. plan, which someone in that kind of state isn't listening, isn't paying attention and off they go. And that kind mm-hmm. of the cycle repeats itself until uh, is- so something else happens. So the recovery coaches that kind of bridge in between be like, Hey, you're here. Let's, let's possibly have this kind of conversation and really start having the conversation about like what treatment options or what options are available for the person yeah. since they're kind of in that state, if you will, of like, relatively paying attention
1: yep, so yeah, thanks for explaining that. i I remember and this is a this might be a little off, but maybe off maybe not, but like an example was like they they didn't have they they didn't have like i when i over one of the times that I overdosed I went to i actually went was hospitalized, right? I've mm-hmm. I overdosed a bazillion times, but I've, I've been hospitalized twice, right? Yeah. And I, I came to, you know, in the ambulance, and I'm at Boston Medical Center, and I'm in, like, the hallway area, and I'm like, I'm getting, the, I'm getting out of here, right? I just unstrapped my, like, I was strapped on this, on, you know, the, what do you call it? Bernie. Thank you. I was strapped down and I just unbuckled and I'm like, I was just knocking three knock-ins, Right. And I, I just unstrapped myself and I walked out like, just like that. And I swear to God on my grandmother, workers saw me and they just ignored me and pretended like they didn't see me because oh. they didn't want to jail, you know? And, um, and, you know, like, you know, maybe it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have been, You know, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But, like, if there was a recovery coach right there, like, that service, maybe maybe it would have been helpful, you know? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, the opportunity is that, like, there's always room for conversation. I mean, we talked about, I think, last episode or an episode before is that, you know, like, um, welcome centers for people to kind of get off the street, right? Those kinds of places are all opportunities to have conversations about treatment options, you know, support services, et cetera. When that's void, you know, people are using kind of, you know, in a very disruptive ways, uncertain, un, like unaware about like what options that they actually have, you know, for themselves, right? There's a lot of misinformation, even in the using community, especially active use about, you know, what, what access they have to care. And so that, again, that's another part is that like, yeah, a registered nurse in the ER dealing with a gunshot wound versus someone who just overdosed, right? that's going to draw someone's attention, you know, differently. Yeah. Um, and again, that recovery coach is to kind of like buffer that being like, Hey, I'm the advocate here and I'm going to, uh, you know, bring in the medical people, you know, appropriately into the conversation and I, you know, focus on, you know, the person who's um, who's on the gurney, who's suffering.
1: Right. I think like to get into some of what, what bothers me about, about recovery coaching or where I think like the boundaries get, cause let's face it, like not all recovery coaches are adhering to what the boundary guidelines probably should be or are right. Mm-hmm. And I think like what bothers me most is, In a lot of instances, you have people that you have addicts in recovery for like six months clean and they're going out to get recovery certificate, recovery coaching certificate. And now you have someone with 10 months, 11, 12, you know, a year clean Mm -hmm. providing a service to, you know, an extremely, you know, a day clean addict or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? A vulnerable population right a very vulnerable population and they don't have the skill set yet to really be able to hold like a good boundary with someone who they're over identifying with off the rip because of their addiction you know mm-hmm. so like like that's one of the things when i when i first got into the field was be careful you know be mindful and acknowledge the over identification with the patient like i'm going to i'm going to identify and because i'm with them the client quite a bit and doing treatment for them i i end up over identifying with them and that's when people get into boundary issues Mm -hmm. right um so it bothers me that there's not like people like at least i guess longer clean time but i don't i don't even think that's it like it so much Right, yeah, I, I mean, think it's like proper training in, been, in like theory, seconds. Experience in the field or yeah, training is, th- is more of that that's needed probably. Yeah.
0: And I, I think, you know, between you and I, you know, we, we have this kind of conversation like offline and how I kind of feel about over identifying someone in recovery in being able to automatically connect with someone in that kind of desperate, like the philosophy behind it, I think is beautiful. But again, for someone like me, not in recovery, but I've been in the field and have had, you know, in my definition, success, you know, working with people to achieve, you know, some level of recovery status or whatever. Um, yeah. I think that's where this kind of also thinks like, how cool would it be? Like if we talked about like a recovery coach is like, yes, have someone who's a recovery coach who has kind of like, you know, on the ground level of training, but then with them have someone who has. That strong clinical uh, mm-hmm. experience, either someone who is in recovery or not in recovery, and really like tag team, um, <clears throat> you know those yeah. kinds of conversations, so that each person is kind of holding each other accountable. I think you, know, you and I and I, you know, talked about you know this subject, right? And um, I want to le- I want to let you finish, but like I'm going to talk about like boundaries issues that happen in the field fairly regularly um that i think potential clients need to be aware of uh because it can't it's it will be harmful to you the 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 person seeking treatment um and then the person who's doing it is equally unhealthy or inappropriate
1: right so so yeah this is you know this this is um something that is very important to talk about for sure um now i see it from the other perspective as as a as a patient as a client going in and out of treatment for a few years now
0: mm-hmm.
1: now i see it in another you know a vulnerable way right <laughs> so i think i told you like i i don't think i wanted to go into this topic of, like a month ago whenever we were bringing it up yeah yeah i my preference was the other topic because in this topic, if I'm, envi- you know, I'm thinking of myself as the patient, right? Yeah. And if I'm thinking of, if I'm, if I'm the patient in treatment and there's a, there's a staff that, um, you know, is not holding a good boundary with me, like I'm all over that. I'm taking advantage of that. I'm manipulating it mm-hmm. um, best I can because I'm looking to get something out of that that person that has the weak boundary as a professional. Right. Yeah. So that's how, you know, that's how I see it. I, I can see it now from that perspective more because I've been in and out so much. And there's been times where I have, um, you know, been in those situations, you know, and I've seen it tons of times, those yeah. types of, that type of thing, Right. Um, and then I care about it, you know, um, Mm. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. And I think here's what I want to kind of share to the audience. Right. And I, yeah. you and I know it, you know, very well. And I think there's still some relative truth to this um, today. I don't think, you know, um, the current times, you know, necessarily you know, change anything, but there was a, a relative historic, um, Survey taken by psychiatrists across the U.S. Do you know where I'm going with this? Not yet. All right. So again, this is a this is a a research study. So it's not just like an arbitrary like you know check off. Someone did a study about uh, psychiatry, right? Psychiatrists or the medical doctors trained in psychiatry, um, and the question the questions were surrounding about. Inappropriate relationships with clientele. And it was a completely anonymous survey. So, yeah. um, you know, everything was kind of taken away so people can tr- generally be honest. And the results of that survey were that more than 50% of the psychiatrists surveyed across the United States admitted having uh, inappropriate sexual relationships with their clientele. Uh,
1: that's more than 50%. I, of forgot, psychiatrists. I, forgot about, I forgot about this. Yeah.
0: And When they, the second question was, you know, explain your reasoning for kind of crossing those boundaries. And the number one report was the psychiatrist felt that by by engaging in inappropriate sexual contact with the client is showing them appropriate sexual contact.
1: Modeling it? Yeah. Modeling appropriate. That was the response? Yeah. I didn't remember. I didn't remember that being the response, but I or I didn't know ever know it. That that's that's wild, man.
0: So you know, Google it. You know,
1: it 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 probably
0: is a research that is easily accessible. To, you know, to the population. Um, but again, really know, talks- what year was this? Oh God, this is. I mean, I heard years. this. When, you know, when I was in grad school, so this is like early two thousand. So the survey was probably done like ten years, fifteen. You know. 20 years within that range. So yeah. we're, we're going back like, you know, 30, 90, 90, 95. Yeah. You know, so it's not, not, not too old, old, but again, I, honestly, if you did that survey today, those numbers probably wouldn't shift all, all that much. And it, yeah. we're talking about doctors who've gone to medical school and had all more training than anyone right. else combined who right. still take, you know, certain you know, okay. risks and again boundaries, you know, being inappropriate does not necessarily shift because someone has a, a formal education
1: right. or formal so, I, I mean that makes me I mean that makes me think that the numbers in like the substance use treatment world is like you know, if you're saying it's over fifty percent for medical for a psychiatrist who's in medical school, right? I'm thinking in the substance abuse world, like it's seventy percent easy. Then, if that's the case, right? I mean, because there's just it's too. I don't know. Addiction's too complex in a different. It's a different. It's a different beast, you know. So, like, I just feel like it would be higher in, in substance abuse. Do you, you know trying, what I'm? Saying?
0: I, I I do. I mean, I I think it's fair to say, but it's also unfair to say because you know that that needs to be you know, researched either like geographically or nationally. It's just to re- really put out an, an anonymous survey to treatment, you know, providers, you know, therapists like me and other yeah. forms of, of providers and, and really ask like, Hey, has this kind of, you know, ever kind of happened? I actually want to talk a couple about a couple of boundary related things that I experienced in the field of addictions that like, it's not always sexual <laughs> in nature. Yeah. There's other, like you said, like when you, I, you know, as a client in a treatment program, once you identify a, a staff member who has shaky boundaries, like you're, you're going to go and attack that, right? You're going to get something. I odd.
1: have an example. I have an example too, but yeah, that I shared with someone, a friend of mine, the other day, actually. But go ahead, and share yours.
0: Yeah. So this was. I mean no excuse, you know, but it was early on in my career and um, mm-hmm. the place that I was working at, um, actually a friend that I knew growing up uh, came through that treatment program. Uh, I didn't provide therapy for them. Of, of course, you know, that's in, inappropriate, but, you know, um, I would, you know, you know, communicate like in hallways and, and other kind of, you know, settings, uh, whatnot. And you know, the person, you know, was not doing well in treatment, right. You know, um, still, you know, using other substances, maybe not the primary drug of choice. And so again, in that setting, it was me, the professional and that person, the, the client. And so they came up to me one day and was, you know, and I knew it like they were jammed out of their minds, you know, um, you know, they were on all types of like pills made this lame excuse that they had quote unquote run out of gas um, and they needed like X amount of dollars to like get back home or whatever. And so I didn't look at them as a client. I looked at them as someone that I knew personally. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, here's, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks. And kind of off they went. I necessarily didn't feel all too guilty about it. I cannot say I didn't talk about it in supervision, which is, you know, probably the biggest red flag. But that person then, you know, was developing like a friendship with another person in the same program. And then that person told that other client that I gave them money. And so what ended up happening is that client came to me and was just like, hey, I heard that you gave so-and-so money. I'm struggling, same excuse. Like I'm running, like I don't have gas money or whatever. And so- once again, boundaries, I, um, you know, I took money out of my wallet and, you know, gave this person like X amount of dollars. Um, yeah. and, I, and again, I knew that they were not doing well. I knew like the money was possibly most likely going to some level of, you know, uh, you know, drug use or, or, or whatever. Um, and I was just like, shoot, like, <laughs> I have to like be distant away from that somehow, some way. Uh, yeah. and I really reflected on that because, like in other aspects of like, like you said, like my training was really about the clinician not self-disclosing most, if any parts of their own life and really making it about the client about any and all kind of conversations. I disagree with that today, but you know, this was like, you know, 15, 18 years ago, you know, when, when I first kind of got into the field, you know, so that was one thing that kind of still sticks out about, shaky boundaries and again if when you know someone in treatment in your personal life you know um, I know people who initially met their significant other in treatment or incarceration and then they kind of ran Mm -hmm. into each other in some like you know self-help recovery Um, and people are married today still after X amount of years so like it's not always I guess like unhealthy way, but like the dynamic of how you meet the person changes right. the kind of, uh, the landscape. Um, and it was another incident where I was tr- same program early on in my career. Um, a young woman, probably the same age as me, I think at that point, uh, opioid dependent, um, really did some good work. I mean, re- you know, the client was you know really confused about ad- addiction, how them, whatever, um, but like every week, or like every now and again, they would bring in a gift. Like, oh, you know, you really helped me out. Like, here's this candle. I'm like, Ugh. Yeah. Um, and I think you'll you'll get a kick out of this one. Um, I don't. I probably self disclosed. Um, they asked, like, you know, where I buy my professional clothes, and uh, I, but in public. Yeah, and I know. So I... A week later it wasn't like she came with like a bag of like banana Republic clothes and had like, you know, like a V neck and like a tank top or whatever. And she's like, Oh, you're not, you're helping me out so much. And I'm, I'm doing so much better and whatever. And this just like my show of appreciation, like those, like that client particularly, I did yeah. have a conversation with my uh, supervisor. I said, this is what's yeah. kind of happening. And, you know, I was supervised on how to kind of handle that conversation um, yeah. Again, it, right? It's, it's that vulnerability for the staff member to talk about it openly, honestly, with a you know, trusted supervisor uh, to kind of like work through it. Because, as you mentioned, like that in addiction, there is a lot of that kind of gaining information, personal information, some form of like manipulation, trickery, doing something pseudo rule wise. Um, and then seeing how far it can kind of, uh, you know, go. So, uh, yeah,
1: you you, now. you remember, like I used to, I used to buy banana Republic too. Right. Especially like before I got married and early on in my marriage, I, I was a banana Republic guy. And then, you know, as you know, as time went on, you know, with you know, budgeting money and stuff, I got away from Banana Republic and J. Crew, right? Those are my spots. But do you remember I like I prided I I took a lot of pride in how I dressed when I was working with you? Yeah. I, you did too. And you know, just by you know, you sharing there, I could, you know, sense your pride, right? And Do you remember we had like this thing, like this competition of who was like a better dressed worker? Do you remember? (laughs) Yes. Do you remember this? And we, finally, I brought in like one of the workers into like the office. We didn't share an office, but I think they came into my office that I was sharing with someone. And you were in there and I'm like, hey, so-and-so, who do you think dresses better? And I was so fucking pissed. I was so pissed. Because they said you.
0: <laughs> and uh,
1: I was so irritated. And that bothered me to the core. To the core. I'm trying
0: so hard. Notice me.
1: <laughs> and I even went at the worker, like, for the next few days at least. Like, I went at the worker. I'm like, are you telling me, like, I don't, like, like I don't dress nice? You don't think I, I'm, like, i you know, I'm a stylish, you know, I'm stylish is what I was saying. And they're like, no, you just dress regular. You know, you you have your dress shirt, your dress pants. And that's that's pretty much the deal. Like as far as like styling, Bob Rose is better at styling. I'm like, what the I was so heated, dude. I was so heated, <laughs> I'm still heated to this day, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, you did. It's funny that you do remember that, though.
0: again like you know for us like our connection in working in the danvers treatment program right is that you know we're similar in age we're similar in height you know we're we're similar in stature like our education is relatively like equal like family life is relatively like there's so many like equalities of like our lived experience like of course like you addiction me not addiction and all the other stuff um but even something as simpler as like we both you know look at like banana republic like professional clothing as like nice clothing like cool clothing that we would like you know spend our hard-earned money on so like not everyone you know thinks like that or whatever right so i think just like all those like little things you know i think really you know bonded us you know together and probably the reason why we're still friends (laughs) years.
1: yeah yeah funny um but i what was i going to say i was going to was going to say something too about our topic here boundaries yeah um, being tested testing yeah, yeah i mean i was i had something like while you were sharing but i it got overtaken by the, by the clothes stuff by the <laughs> you know the fashion stuff so i don't know where that thought went now but um, I will say that, um, I'll share an experience that I had, you know, coming when, when a patient is in and out of a treatment program, like the same one, like frequently mm-hmm. you get you, you end up like breaking down boundaries a little bit with the staff, you know, cause like now I'm a regular and they, you know, they, know, you know, they're getting to know me more and more and they're becoming looser with their boundaries. Some mm-hmm. of the time. And, um, I was, I was in, I'm in, you know, my spot there in Haverhill and um, there was a, there was a girl there that I was interested in, right? Another patient, another patient, right? And her room was on another floor than where my room was. I was like on the third floor, right? I wasn't in like the Adams suite that they, that I was, you know, I eventually got, <laughs> I was on like the third floor and like she was on another floor, I forget what floor. And I'm like, how can I get this person? How can I get her like closer to me? You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. like I, the room next to me became opened at some point during our stay. Okay. So now I have this open room, like next, right next door to me. Right. Like, huh. I, I, go, I go after the, like the, you know, one of the, the, um, the staff like a weak link, you know, as far as like boundaries, right? And I go, hey, why don't you move so-and-so to room 304, which I'm 303 because mm-hmm. they want to move is what I say, right? They're like, great idea. Next thing you know it, they they move, they moved her right next to me, dude. Cause I told them to basically <laughs> cause I told them to. That's like, perfect. That's, I feel like that's a good example of like clients manipulating in treatment because of poor bound when staff have poor boundaries, you know? And to like, like,
0: Again, you kind of stated in like why you did what you did, right? Was obviously like you said you were like attracted, like, right. but like in the general scheme of things, like what's the benefit of a client like manipulating a staff member to get whatever they want? And like, I mean, you you remember, and and, and I I hope the audience gets a kick out of this. <laughs> so again, you know, in Danvers, you know they had multiple programs under one roof. And one policy was that anyone who kind of enters the program, you kind of have to go through like a personal belongings check. They can only bring X amount of like clothes onto the unit and whatnot. Like personal hygiene products, uh, very little things were kind of approved. 99.9% of the arguments that we used to get into was with males bringing in hair products. The women (laughs) would give up their (laughs) eyeliner and lipstick and lotions, like, freely. The men would be amazingly obsessed, and they would do anything. I have this hair condition. I need to do this. It's a part of my self-esteem, and if you take it away, like, anything (laughs) you can think of, but... I I want you to visualize that. It was men who were just shooting heroin (laughs) in an alleyway less than 24 hours ago. And the most important thing to them at that point was, well, I need
1: hair gel. You know, my shtick that I learned when, when I was trying to get something that would like, like something like that, for example, you know, my shtick would my, my spiel would say to the staff, yeah, I may have been on the streets shooting dope a couple of days ago, but now I'm in recovery and I can care about how I look and how I, you know, what I do. <laughs> That's what my, my spiel would be,
0: manipulative
1: spiel, you know. And did it work? Not usually. Not usually. Uh. It, it works in longer term. care. You know, like if you're in if I was in sober living and like there was, you know, cockroaches or something, they, they would say two months ago you were out on this. Yeah. Well, today I, I really don't have to live like that. Like I'm choosing not to. You know what I mean? Like it's different like when you have like a little, like even a month clean. But if you're in like a week, you know, three days in detox and you're saying that it more than likely it's not going to (laughs) work. You know? know, So, so, Yeah.
0: So I I think about, you know, the boundaries kind of, you know, conversation is, you know, I think it's really, really important. Again, for for both sides of it, I think people who listen to this podcast, you know, either, you know, work in the field or sober themselves or, you know, again, interested in working in the field. Or, you know, you know, people in recovery and, and working in other fields. But this thing kind of happens. And, uh, like, many years ago, actually, I, I did an impromptu group. Um, and I kind of switched it up. And I said, let's talk about, like, treatment ethics and boundaries. Let's talk about, like, what good treatment, like, looks like.
1: Right. And
0: one of the conversations I said is, I, you know, I said, like, on a show of hands, how many people have had, like, inappropriate contact with treatment providers? And if honestly, if there was, like, 12 people in the room, like... 10 people raised their hands. I was like, all right, anyone feel comfortable in sharing? And so those, you know, one person male who talked about getting like a therapist, maybe not their therapist, but a treatment provider, their personal cell phone number as as a way of like making an intimate, you know, contact, even though this person (laughs) on the outside was already in a relationship that they already knew about. So like so many levels there uh, that kind of occur. And I, you know, as many schools have thought about like self-disclosure and stuff like that,
1: I remember one of, the, one of the things that my supervisor early on, um, yeah, it was Steve. It was Steve would always say, um, you know, but he would say, before you self-disclose, ask yourself, how will this, me disclosing that, yeah. how is this going to be useful to the client? Or is it going to be useful to, for the patient to hear this, you know? Or is it? Or is it more about me?
0: You know, am I unloading my stuff onto the clients?
1: Right. You know, and I, 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 I really, think, like, I really believe. Like, I really believe there should be like there. Were, there should be more of. Um. You can't like ver- like it's, it's such an interesting field because you can't like verify someone's recovery. You know, like you don't you don't know what you're what you're getting when you know you're hiring someone you know that that's in recovery you don't know like where they're at in their process so to speak
0: and well, so- there's also le- legal questions that you can't ask someone upon an interview yeah. recovery status as, well, as
1: but, however though on many job descriptions it it will say now must have one a minimum of one year of sobriety it will say that i've seen this a million times now but they cannot ask that they can't ask you how long you've been sober or anything You know, they shouldn't anyways um, but yeah there's no way of verifying it unless they were in your treatment pro- the treatment program that they're applying for a job in, and they can just <laughs> work in the system you know but, yeah. uh, it's just uh, yeah. I have so many you know um, yeah. I mean I'm pretty like rigid or i i I really think like this should be like something to to weed out like i, I don't know i don't know i i'm just because it's sick pe. it's a lot of sick people helping yeah. sick people that's what it is let me just say it it's a lot of sick people helping sick people and in, in that field specifically you know and again i'm i'm, I'm really be you know specific
0: here is that it's not just people in recovery working in recovery programs it's people not in recovery working recovery programs that kind of things align and i just like a, like a side note right is that i you know i'm sure our audience and i know i found it you know comical but do you remember that incident i, I think there's a movie about it or at least a documentary about Uh, the social worker in the jail that helped the inmate like escape and they had the whole thing.
1: Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So like
0: that person in the career didn't say, I'm going to violate every ethical boundary I've ever been taught in my professional and personal career. Like something shifts in people somehow, some way, that begins to kind of slide. Let it be kind of unbeknownst to them. Let it be intentional move on their behalf. And it just progresses and progresses and progresses until something like major happens. Bro. Like they have sex with a client on a unit Bro. they get caught with, you know, so, whatever
1: the case is. So far, Bruce, like on I'll be honest. Like, and I started to share this. I started to go there earlier when we were talking, but I, I didn't wind up there. But when, when the recovery coaching stuff started to happen, and a little little time went by, and I saw, like, I saw, now I saw, like, like staff giving out their phone numbers to clients and stuff, like regular staff, not recovery. And it, be, and it became, like, okay. In some way, it became acceptable, okay? Something like that. And I started to become looser on my boundaries, and what I, it was compromising my own, you know, belief, you know? I'm like, oh, everyone's doing this. Yeah. This is where treatment has evolved to. This is what my mind is telling me, right? You know, treatment is evolving into this way. It's going in this direction. And it's more peer-to-peer. It's more self-disclosure. It's more of, you know, let me help you in any way possible type of thinking. Like, this is where my mind was going with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still, it's it's more... It's, it's more like that than, than I've ever, I've ever seen probably with like s- staff and, you know, giving out yeah. contact info and stuff. And I don't know. And that was I don't, social media. I, I mean, that's another ball game that kind of plays out some of it Like some of it work, like, like you, you said too, like some of it works out, some of it is horrible. And then, you know, you don't know there's different degrees of how things are going to go. Right. Like, some staff you know you like i may get someone a staff's number and become like like really good friends with them and it works out right but and then in another direction some really fucked up shit can happen
0: you know what i mean it's just yeah
1: yeah no and
0: and and, you know even a a place that i was working at and it wasn't you know uh while i was there i think happened like maybe a few years before but like a nurse right again a nurse, lots of like credibility in, in the field, and they were they had like a, a bartering relationship with the client. Like mm-hmm. um, the client needed something like personal, the the, the nurse would do that, and then I, there was like an incident about like a bicycle repair or something like that. And mm-hmm. The client like, worked for that, and they yeah. took that and, and didn't charge them. Like all these like little nuances that kind of happen, And again, it really is with any scope of the care, like from managers to frontline staff, to recovery coaches, to psychiatry, to th- like therapy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all present and I would encourage family members, you know, even treatment seekers themselves, like these things will affect your recovery some shape or some form. And you really want like, upstanding citizens to take care of you right if you're like you, if you were in the er and you were gushing blood you don't want someone to like ignore that right or, or you know bandage your head when it's your wrist that's bleeding right like, that's the same notion of of this like being treated you know with respect and dignity uh, regardless of what state you're in and always remaining that you know you know, client care is the reason why we do what we do yeah. uh, and nothing else will jeopardize that. Um, and so, like, you know, as, as a manager in the field, you know, when I supervise people, you know, mm-hmm. I heavily, heavily talk about, um, you know, those kind of connections. And sometimes, like, how we blur them, when do we blur them, how to develop boundaries, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Um really, really helps kind of early on people kind of develop the sense of, like, what can I share? When do I not
1: share it? When do I pull back? Um, right. it, it's all a part of the conversation. It was, it's interesting too, while we're, that we have this topic tonight because I, I just thought of it now, but at the meeting that I was at tonight, there was a person in the meeting that raised their hand, like at the tail end of the meeting, there was a few minutes left. They got their hand up to share and he shared about the person shared about um they've been working in the field for a couple of years and they haven't been to a meeting in over a year. And what they said was like the, the first thing that I tell, I used to tell new employees when they came on, if they were in recovery, if they disclose that to me, I would say, whatever you do, I recommend, I highly recommend that you do not make your job, your recovery. And this person shared in the meeting i've been making i've been seeing my job as like my recovery and then he caught himself or he realized or he knew he said and i know you shouldn't do that (laughs) like that Mm -hmm. right you know like acknowledged it um which i found interesting i wasn't expecting that piece you know Um, even our our
0: our last guest uh, i should have made that comment when you know she completed treatment program and then she started working there and then she started dropping off on meetings because, you know, she was in the recovery environment, you know, yep. all day and night, and so uh, that really, you know, impacted her. So yeah, um, yep. That I, was
1: that was the number one, like that was one of the num, like the number one thing I would see early on in the field of new people coming in was they literally made their job or rec- their recovery, and that's that's a burnout waiting to happen. That's your reco- you know, person's recovery going down, you know, going backwards. <laughs> and yeah. So that's total red flag if that if that's their recovery you know yeah so no. I was taught early on make sure you separate that make yeah, sure no. the job is and we've talked about it on here before you know the job is the job recovery is your recovery so yeah, yeah. two different things
0: self-care yeah out of work yeah no for sure um anything else before we uh wrap this episode
1: I think I've, I've said everything that I, that's on my heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think,
0: you know, for, for both of us, um, you know, we share the good and this part is, you know, the not so good that, you know, we've seen with our own eyes. Um, and we want to kind of shed some light to it. And so people don't get harmed either voluntarily or involuntarily. What um, should we look
1: for? Like if a, a stat, like if you're a client, you know in treatment you're not fully i mean you're not you're in addictive mindset so like for the client themselves to identify what's going on they probably they a lot of times they may not see it right um, um so maybe it's more for family members or support outside the rehab that they're talking with i don't i don't know i'm just
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think one, one thing I heard, you know, especially from like the the th-
1: therapeutic side of things, is like,
0: you know, if you're in treatment or some kind of like addiction, like therapy, whatever it might be. If the therapist is talking way more than you yeah. or you know more about them than they know about you, that's a huge red flag.
1: Yeah, thank you. you yeah,
0: know, yep. That that should be something like, hey, you know, I'm the one paying your salary and you're burdening me with like your story. Um, and again, not like generic story or like like a, a macro version of it, but like, you know, details of like where their children go to school and you know, like, you know, what kind of car they drive, like all those like descriptive type of stuff, you know, be you know, very, very aware of. And again, you know, keep your guard up a lot, you know, just like what we're saying, don't blur those lines and for a client as much as possible, like it it will not work out for you. However much that you think they're the perfect person in your life, if it's meant to be, it will happen naturally organically, you know, without it, you know, um, you know, causing any kind of, you know, issues. There are some legalities uh, for people like me, like with clinical licensure. But um, I I think you separate those two worlds, Um, you know, people in recovery, um, will find appropriate love and that love probably should not come from the treatment provider. (laughs) Uh, It should not come from the provider in any capacity, you know, whatsoever. Um, And so, you know, give yourself a chance and, you know, you know, when we talk about the road that is kind of straight and narrow, this, this also means like that aspect of it you know, finding love and, you know, and who do you go after and what's what your pursuit and who pursues you um, are all like, you know, major kind of components to like wellness as a whole.
1: Yeah. Very good. Very good, Barbaros. Very good. Um, hey, do you want, do you want me to confirm my guess for next week to just pick it up? Cause I can, I can do that. I'm pretty sure to redeem myself. Um, uh, we'll see. I mean, it's it's a week away. Um. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to drop the ball again or whatever. I, I, I don't put
0: that much pressure on you. All
1: right. I'm gonna tell our listeners we're gonna have a guest next week, and they are gonna be great.
0: Su- super, super happy. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, You, you, you want to do the music? <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So thank you for the transition music. This is the part of the segment that we affectionately call the five controversies where I throw out, generally two options and then um adam does not follow the rules like he usually doesn't do uh um, yeah. have a little bit of a debate please rule, feel free to kind of rule, breaker,
1: rule breaker yeah rule breaker n- notorious He's yeah, rule, a meant to be broken type of guy i guess <laughs> um I yeah, play him. at home you know play with
0: your friends uh, i i think it 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 sparks healthy uh, debate, uh, I, you know. I that's kind of what what the attention is that you know we're, we're not all uh, the the same, and that can be okay. Yeah. Um. All yeah. right. First one. Um. Red or purple Gatorade. Red Gatorade. Any she reason for your answer?
1: Thinks it. I just think it tastes better. It's as simple as that. Um. A little, you know, it's fruit punchy a little bit, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, I I I go purple. Um, really?
0: I'm surprised. I there's something visual about the color purple drink <laughs> that when you said like just the way for me for some and it's not true zero truth to this but. It yep. tastes sweeter than all the other colors, mm, so nice. I lean towards the fake oh. sugar process of purple Gatorade over red Gatorade. Okay,
1: yeah, all right. That wasn't a very good controversy, but whatever. <laughs> I, I love how like you're rating them now. <laughs> it's a controversy, but it just wasn't a very good one. But God, oh, shut up.
0: Um, this one I think is is, is a fairly good one. Um Family Guy versus Simpsons.
1: Simpsons. I can't do it. I can't do it. That's not. Is that it? No. Of course not. The Simpsons. Now that was it, right? Did I get it? Is your answer The Simpsons? My answer is the Simpsons that are on like 31 years straight now going with new episodes coming out every fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I go with The Simpsons. I had it on the other day randomly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, Simpsons have been around longer.
0: Family Guy, not as long. Um, obviously. Obviously. But if both of them are on regardless of new episode or repeat <laughs> family guy 100 percent. i have oh, not watched really a repeat of this in mind. probably 10 15 years oh it's true it's true uh, family guy though like i like sat down on my couch and be like oh there's nothing on tv family <laughs> guys on i'm gonna watch
1: a few episodes back to back and Wait, what do, again what is it that you have against against barrett
0: I mean, I, I, because I related to like a younger version of myself, like the the comedy is a little more what younger. Like Family Guy really like puts raunchy stuff like out there, like it, like it'll catch me off guard. Like The Simpsons, I don't like for so, some time, like I wasn't getting like caught off guard by the yeah. like
1: their- maybe maybe I do it more for uh, maybe I like the symptoms just based out of like more for like the nostalgia of it. Sure. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right not the worst controversy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off at all. Can we do can we do one of mine? You're gonna go off the rip right now? Surprise one that I have. Oh right, I've I freaking write it down. You ready? All right, go. All right. Yes! I think this is the first time that I'm going to actually do one. Beyonce or T-Swift? Go! <laughs> this is so stupid.
0: <clears throat> and by T-Swift, you mean Taylor Swift? Yes, obvi- obviously. Obviously. <laughs> what? What's your choice? No, you go first. I asked. So you go oh, oh, oh. Is that the way we're gonna work it? Yeah. Uh, I I can openly and honestly say there is probably less than three songs of Taylor Swift that if it comes on, I will let it ride all the way through. Um. Beyonce, a little more my speed, a little more kind of you know musical, a little more kind of like upbeat a little more in the kind of hip hop realm. Um, Neither one of them have I ever listened to a singular album for, so that also says where I am with either one of these controversies.
1: Okay, thank you for playing. And you, Adam? T theory. Swift all the way. Are you kidding me? It's not. Someone even said it's not even fair out there in, the, in this world to compare anyone else to Swift. You can't even do it. Like, it's not fair to anyone else. Like, everyone else is in their own category. Sure. Beyonce is the queen bee, blah, blah, blah. T Swift is the queen. She's the mother. She's the mother. Okay. And. That's not on the what the mother. are doing right now is phenomenal stuff. It's, it's amazing. Okay. It's amazing. And I will let, I, I will play Taylor Swift songs on repeat. Okay. On repeat and sure. I'll, you know, someone might ask me what my favorite song is. Well, what I end up doing is for three weeks, I play out like one or two of her songs and then I move on to like another fave that I will overplay for three weeks. And that's what I do right now. It's You're on your own kid, which is an amazing tune. If you haven't heard it, I recommend everyone listen to it. Um, and that, and I do like um, um, Bejeweled. I do like it. It is a little bit girly, but I love when she says, I polish up real, I polish up real nice. And then 30 seconds later, you hear them repeat nice like that. It's so good. Wow. So good. Wow. Yeah, that is
0: just art right there. And we're moving on to uh, controversy number four for tonight. Um BMW versus Mercedes.
1: You've had this one before. I know you have. I know you've done this one. Um, I'll go in the archives. I have not had this one. Oh, my God. I know you have. I've said Beamer before on here. I've said it. Just
0: because you say Beamer doesn't mean there was a freaking controversy. It's
1: Beamer. It's Beamer. When I turned, when I was, it was must have been my 17th birthday my my um my like i like my friends knew that i love beamers right and my friend rosemary set it up for me to drive her neighbor's beamer on my 17th birthday yeah
0: we never had a controversy for bmw versus mercedes i just
1: looked in the archives maybe it was just at you know it was just talk then
0: okay all right
1: Okay. okay but yeah that's how much i love beamers
0: Mm-hmm. Beamers uh-huh. are
1: not beamers are more are, are, are more slick They're more sleek. That's the word. They're more. They're more sleek. They're not as flashy as the bends, right? Mm. You got a bend, like you know, it, it's different. It's a different ball, you know. It's flat. It's too flashy for me, you know. Okay. <laughs> Um, that doesn't mean I'll turn down a Benz if someone has one out there for me okay? that does not mean that whatsoever
0: and a, we, a, a free even Mercedes. though I
1: love Beamers we will do Mercedes advertisements if they want us to and don't we have a connection with Mercedes or something I don't know I, I, I will go there once it's my turn to speak
0: I'm done you're done <laughs> thank you um <laughs> uh, So one Beamer that I absolutely love, and if I see it on the road, anytime, any place, I'm like, that is an amazing car. The M3, the older body model, uh, the big fat, Tires, uh, back, t- uh, rear tires. Yep. I think is the best Mercedes, uh, best BMW they've absolutely ever made. I just like it's it's sporty. It's still four door. Some um, of them look more
1: flashy even others
0: for sure. Yeah, yep. um, and even when um, I think it was, um, I mean, confusing. It then like yeah, BMW started getting into like you know the hatchback SUVs and like the rounded stuff. They still have a good, good product um i've never owned either one of them um my father for as long as i can remember was always like passionate about mercedes um you know always wanted one he eventually got one you know later on in life and everything like that and so like i have that as a part of the notion and for some of the audience um, my wife worked for the headquarters of mercedes when they were here in new jersey and when we got together and I relocated because of her stable job at Mercedes, I was like, oh, my God, for the first time in my life, my entire life, not only <clears throat> am I going to drive a new car, I'm going to drive a Mercedes because they had perks with their employees about like, you know, getting leases. And within the first year that I was here, um, Mercedes relocated to uh, Georgia. Yeah. So yeah. even though I got to drive one because, like, my, you know, got one even after they left, you know, we had leased it for I think a, a few years. I myself never got to, to have that. So that's a personal story about Mercedes. But I am Team Mercedes. If I were to pick, um, yeah, either,
1: yeah, all right.
0: And again, uh, for the BMW yeah. folks, if you right. want to give me a BMW, I will gladly advertise it and, and drive it um, with passion.
1: Right. Right, and we would share the beamer. If like they just gave it <laughs> to one of us, we would share it. Like I'll have it for a month, and you'll have it for a couple of weeks, and then on yeah, yeah, we're we're equal opportunity here at
0: uh, the addict and the
1: counselor. Right. We 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 would just need one. We wouldn't need
0: two. Just yeah. to two white. is great. Two would be oh.
1: awesome. Yeah, it would be great. It would be
0: yeah. great. Yeah. We'll make one work. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. Last one. <clears> uh, <throat> a little change up here. So in terms of organization, yeah, which is a better organization? NFL versus NBA versus MLB versus NHL? Oh, my
1: God. Four of them? Four. Better product. You're asking me better product? Better product, better organization, better run,
0: whatever. However you want to break it down.
1: I will say that it goes, I will give the order. That's what I'm going to do with my time right now. I'm going to give NFL, then it's NHL, then it's NBA, and then it's MLB. And I like MLB. To, I, I'll watch baseball all day long. I'm a baseball watcher. Okay. But I put them at the bottom as, as a product. Okay. So NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB. You got that? Got it. Got it. Check. Check. <laughs> um you, I mean, you agree. You agree with me.
0: I I don't agree with you. And here's the rationale. The NFL package wise, I think, like as you mentioned, is a, is a better product. I think a part of the reason why is There's only 17 regular season games. So you gotta jam pack it in. You gotta make sure. And after a certain, like, you know, after the first four games, like every single game is a crucial game. Right. Yep. I would then choose NBA as number two. If you look at the, like, the ownership split versus the players, NBA, I think, is one of the better, like, leagues that has, like, equal money divvied up between ownership and NBA. Like, NFL is actually, like, one of the worst. Right. Love it all. So that's uh, true. <laughs> MLB and NHL I'm not a hockey person that's definitely like last on my list but I, I would almost give them a tie because mm-hmm. also in comparative to like the NBA the season is so damn long like there's no way you can track like a hundred something regular season games yeah. of like, MLB like I don't know how many like NHL has but like it just seems like the season lasts like forever in a, in a day so like I lose like interest like MLB like I'll pay attention after the All Star game the Red Sox see how well they do yeah like come like June July like depending on what the Red Sox do I'll like pursue it you know we fired our GM right yeah yeah good riddance yeah um so yeah that that's that that's my order I I would say so it's slightly different than yours but yeah, NFL first yeah all right.
1: All right. I like it. Thank God Bloom's out of it, though. Oh, man. Huh? Okay. Thank God Heim Bloom, the GM. Thank God they fired his ass. Oh. But really, the whole organization needs an overhauling. You know, people yeah. actually care about the team, you know. But, yeah. anyways, that's a whole different episode. Yeah. Or maybe it's not even an episode, actually. All right.
0: <laughs> um, so thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the controversies. We get a lot of hits on the controversies, so mm-hmm. keep them coming. If you have something that you feel a passionate, yeah. email us, contact us. We get more hits we on
1: the, we get more hits on the controversy than the than the main content. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take
0: you yeah, know we'll, we'll take it. So I yeah. uh, really appreciate you know the listens, uh, the follows. Um, you know, please follow us. Please listen to us on all podcasts. Uh, platforms: uh, What's email. our email
1: again? Favros
0: Who's that? What's our email again? The addict and the counselor at gmail.com. the okay. addict the counselor at gmail.com.:
1: All right, and for those that listen are on Spotify, please feel free to leave a comment on what you thought about the episode. There's a comment section there for those that listen. appreciate any and all feedback.
0: Yeah, don't be shy positive or negative we will take it all
1: yep we've taken in that one negative one and we've done one with it
0: constructive constructive feedback highly appreciated
1: yep and don't and um please follow i almost forgot this we have an instagram account and uh, um, i want to thank every all our new followers that you know we're getting new followers on our instagram account every day and you know, be on the lookout for that's where I, I post, um, you know, some sometimes I'll, we'll post some, you know, general addiction information or stuff that's going on in communities with substance use, um, as well as um, when our new episodes drop, you know, so
0: absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Episode 27 in the books. <laughs> Keep
1: counting, Bob Bros. Keep counting. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna
0: lose track soon.
1: <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk with you. All right, we'll do. Bye. Bye. Bye.